0: Job chapter, I need you to, um, I'm talking to you about the silence of God. Job chapter 23, if you will, Job 23, Job chapter 23, verse 8, will stand and let's read it out loud together. Job 23, 8 through 11. These are Job's words. Now, you know, Elihu's writing this down as fast as he can, and Job is crying out from where? Where is Job sitting? Is he in the back of a Mercedes Benz? He's actually on the pile of rubbish that is burned, and he's sitting on a pile of ashes. And he writes, he he says these words, let's say it together, verses 8, 9, and 10, together. Behold... I go forward, but he is not there. and Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Father, just bless this study. Help every person. Hear it. Believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, now we're going back 2,000 years. I know before Jesus, which actually makes it 4,000 years ago, but it's actually not so long ago. It actually applies to our lives. Actually, when you're reading the book of Job, you're looking at you, either maybe in the past or in the future. You're going to go through some time just like Job. Now, you're going back in a time where Job is in school. Now, a lot of people... You may not understand this, but God put job on that ash heap because that's where his lesson is going to be learned, and he put him in class, and that ash heap was was actually God's classroom, and a lot of us wonder why god why have you got me here and Job even asked it in chapter three, I'm just kind of saving it for you he says, "Why do you give light unto a man and then hedge him in? Why do you lock him in where i'm not I'm not free to use what I know I don't feel. Um, victorious. I feel like I'm I'm defeated. Why do you do that? Because God has a lesson for you. That when you have everything working for you and everything's going well, you're not learning anything. You're doing. So He's got him in a classroom, and He's not trying to te- teach him that He's there. Only the fool says there's no God. So. When when God puts you in a situation where you're on the ash heap, it's not to say I'm here. No, it's to teach you about him. It's to give you a depth of the understanding of what God is like. Now, for those of you who haven't been in our series here, I'm not teaching about Job. We're learning about the God of Job. And the book of Job reveals more about God than it does about Job. So, uh when 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 God is is has Job there on the ash heap, it's God revealing himself. By himself. There's nobody who knows God like God. So God is telling us about himself in the book of Job. And so, question is, how do we learn about God? And I, I've been going through the, uh, it's like a classroom. If some of you were, can remember, uh, um, our classrooms having a long hallway in school and each door was a different class. Well, I remember being uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, primary school and I remember Being in one room one year, and then next year when I came, I was down the hall. I was in another room, and I had moved up, you know. Well, God does that, and does anybody remember, where does God first reveal himself? In dreams, right? No, he doesn't use dreams. What's the first thing that God uses to teach us about himself? Somebody raise your hand. Dina, by the scriptures, Okay, he used, Jesus said, search the scriptures because they tell you about me. You might remember the second one. Hmm. By the Holy Spirit. As you read the Bible, you can become like a Pharisee, and it becomes just words that you can put in your head, and knowledge will puff you up and ruin you. So you need the teacher of the Holy Spirit. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. You need to be spiritually taught. So when you open the Bible, what should you pray? Psalm 119, I can't remember which verse, 71 or whatever. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, teach me. So the Holy Spirit teaches you. What's the next classroom? Anybody remember? Any one of them? Dina. Yes, hard suffering. Notice all the S's. So the scriptures, the Holy Spirit. There's only some, There's there's... There are some things that you'll only learn when you have to suffer through it and struggle through it and endure through it, and you go, I learned. Another one is when you search for them. God's not a spoon-feeder. Can you imagine if your mom every day got up and put you at the table and spoon-fed you every morning your breakfast? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Bad. Okay, and God's not going to do that with you either. There are times when you're very low, and God just comes along, and he does spoon feed you. He does make things easy. But there are other times he says, look for yourself. Search for yourself. Find some truth about me yourself. So you'll learn about God when you want to. Amen. Then he takes you down to another class and that was through sharpening. And how many friends did Job have show up in his life during this experience? How many? Three. Were they the best of friends? And yet they were as much A part of the classroom experience as the presence of God was. There's actually a fourth one, a guy named Elihu, but he was better. But the thing is, sometimes God puts somebody in your life who just rubs you the wrong way. Is that a good thing or a bad thing if you're saved? It's a good thing because God can 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 show you. You say, that person really rubs me the wrong way. Maybe it's revealing a flaw in you. You may not be able to change them, but God may be saying, hey, I need to change you. And then there's one thing that we're talking about, and that's through the silence. God sometimes goes quiet. So I said this, I, uh, if you remember, <clears throat> and we just sang it, I didn't even notice it in that second song on Holy, Holy, Holy. Evidently, these old-time writers, let me find Holy, 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 because I'll quote this for you. I just noticed it. I didn't even think it before. I didn't notice it before. But in Psalm, I'm oh, sorry, in Psalm, in hymn 70, it said... Ah, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful men um, thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. It goes on and it gives you the idea that, you know, sometimes you can't find God, like Job was saying. And when, when God just doesn't seem to be around, when God doesn't seem to be acting, when he doesn't seem to be doing anything, that's that silent time. And that is a classroom that is the hardest one to stay in. So, uh, Christians are not alone in struggling with the fact that God doesn't come and rescue them from their hard times. If you ever emergency end up in a hospital, that's a hard time. You're saying, Any day, Lord, you're going to get me out of here. Any minute now, the doctor's going to come in and say, All clear. And he doesn't show up. You're like, God, where'd you go? Wait a minute, I'm still here. How about when. Family walk away from you. When a marriage fails, when a child has died, you'll ask yourself, What happened to God? Why, does he, why didn't He just show up and say, Hey, it's okay? Where did God go? will be your question. Job struggled with this. We looked at it last week. All of the verses where He says, I can't find Him. I look for Him. If He would just answer me, King Saul. David struggled with this throughout the book of Psalms. King Saul panicked when God went silent. It's not unusual to not like it when somebody's silent. Now, uh, the facts about silence were silence is very easily misunderstood. When somebody's not talking, you can make up a lot of thinking. You know that? (laughs) You can imagine everything they're probably thinking, and you're probably wrong. (laughs) Silence sometimes is good and necessary, I said. And I actually found a, a, a several studies um, that our brains and our hearts need to be quiet. Um, our Western culture demands constant noise, constant entertainment. We, we uh, um, I've been down in Cork City now two Fridays in a row, handing out tracts and inviting people out to church and sort of giving them the gospel, and... I I think I saw, out of 200 people, I think I saw 10 that didn't have earphones in their ears. Got to have that stuff going on, got to have noise, got to have the radio on the background, got to have the TV on. But a 2013 study on mice, I know they always do it on mice, but it's better than starting off on humans, okay? So they work with mice, and they did different types of noise and silence to notice the effect of sound on the brains of the mice. Now, the silence was intended to, to be the control, the, the basic, but they found something very surprising. The scientists discovered that when the mice were exposed to two hours of silence per day, their brains regenerated. And I think we're dying because we're stressed out, if nothing else, in fact we don't rest. We don't know how to just sit and be still and know that God is God and just smile and look at the sun set and look at the sky and look at the kids playing and not be screaming at them and, and, and telling them, just, just sit there and enjoy the moment and relax. I think we're killing ourselves. So what they did was they discovered that when the brain was resting, it was actually, the words are internalizing and evaluating information, and storing it away and making things (sighs) manageable. Because the truth is, um, God is the God of silence sometimes, on purpose. He needs us to know, well, if he's not upset, then I shouldn't be. And I told you last week that Jesus sometimes was silent. Um, And like he used to sleep in the back of the ship, remember, while the ship is sinking? That's bad silence in my book, amen? But he wasn't bothered by the fact that The disciples are freaking out, and the boat is sinking, and Jesus is asleep. He's perfectly at rest. So there are times when God doesn't seem to be doing anything, and it's still good. So I wanted to finish up this thought about the science of God, and that is that God is understood by his silence just as much as when he speaks. Now, what does it mean when he's silent? It does not mean that he's not there. As we already said, his existence is self-evident, It's impossible for God not to be there. As a matter of fact, where is God not? Name one place where God is not. It would be, it would be our normal thing to think that He's not in hell, but that's not true. He is there, but He does not interfere. He does. One of the most awful things about hell is that God is everywhere, but He will not, He will not turn and do anything for somebody in hell. They will know the presence of God. But God will ignore them for all eternity. The worst event is not the fire. The worst event is, is not the torment. It's the separation. And God will turn his back and have nothing to do with him. But he's there. You know, there's no place that God is not. So when you feel like God has left you, abandoned you, walked away from you, left you to yourself, he has not. Second thought. Sin probably has come between you and god let's go to isaiah fifty nine to the right isaiah fifty nine and verse one now you got to start here isaiah fifty nine verse one <clears throat> isaiah fifty nine one says behold the lord's hand is not shortened. think about this god's hand hasn't shrivelled up and hasn't Pull back, that it cannot save. Neither his ear become heavy, that it cannot hear you. But your what? I heard two of you say it loud with me. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Have you thought about that? I think about it all the time. I'm thinking about why, why isn't God doing something? Why isn't God moving? Where, where is it? And, and I could say, oh, well, it's, it's because of Andrew. (laughs) I could, I could blame Brother Darren. You know where the finger's gotta be pointed? What about me? I mean, God goes silent. It probably, gotta start there. It probably is me. Can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? How many of you know what it means to be grieved? You know what it means. I mean, not just upset. But I mean, grieve your spirit just like, I just want to die. But that's how the Holy Spirit feels when we go off into sin. When we walk away from God, and we do our own thing and it grieves the Holy Spirit and he goes quiet. Now, <clears throat> um, third thought. God's already probably spoken and you ignored him. Go to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 8. <clears throat> Luke 23, 8, Jesus is standing, he's in, he's in chains, he's been bound, he's already been passed back and forth between him and Pilate, and the uh, Pharisees and scribes and the Sanhedrin, and Herod now has his chance to be in the presence of Jesus, and verse 8 says, Luke 23, 8, when Herod saw Jesus, woo, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him for a long season. He had wanted to just meet him, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him what? Wow. Now, you normally think, if you're standing before somebody as a political figure, who's a powerful figure in government, you trying to present your case. You try to say, I'm not guilty. I'm innocent. I shouldn't be in these chains. I should not be uh, on, the, on the path to being crucified. But Jesus said nothing. And you ever think about that. Why didn't he say something to Herod? I'm going to say this. Because years earlier, three years earlier, there was a man of God named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, at the side of the Jordan River, preached and crowds would come through, and they would listen to him, and there would be Pharisees, and there would be soldiers, and there'd be the common people. But there were many times when Herod would come down there and go, I like his preaching. Isn't that a man's preaching? Boy, that's a, that's a good preacher. You know the difference between liking preaching, preaching and, and, and the, the, the point? He never believed any of it. He never acted on it. He never obeyed one thing John the Baptist said. So now when Jesus stands in front of Herod, why say anything? If he wouldn't hear what John say, why should Jesus try again? This is scary. There are people in Ireland, there are people in the West who get gospel tract after gospel tract given to them and they keep brushing it off. Let me tell you, one of these days, God's going to stand up there and say, I gave you more than you deserved. I gave you chance after chance. And there are people who haven't had one chance. And The point being that when God says something, he expects you to take every word seriously and not just keep discarding it because one of these days he may go silent and he says, go back and read what I already gave you. How many of you, um, let's see. How many of you know what the will of God is? How many of you know what the will of God is for you? There are probably two, three, or four of you. Amen. Do you know there are seven things that is true for every person in this room? And that's them. You're supposed to be saved. The will of God, God is not willing that any should perish, but his will is that all should come to repentance. Amen. So you say, well, I know the will of God for me to be saved. Amen. You at least know that. You need to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. What does Ephesians 5.18 says? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled How about being satisfied? You think a Christian is supposed to be have a bad attitude and complaining all day, every day? No, that's not the will of God for you. You're supposed to sit back and go, God's been good in my life, satisfied. The will of God is for you to... You don't have to be happy, but you need to be joyous. You need to sit back and go, you know, God, if this is all I've got, I will be content. That's the will of God. The will of God is to be submissive servants... Not rulers, leaders, controllers, manipulators, politicians, uh, business owners. That, you can do whatever you want. But the first job of a Christian is to serve and to serve submissively. Somebody takes advantage of you, let them. Be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Anybody remember? Sanctified. Sorry? Clean, holy. That's the will of God for your life is to live holy, live godly. Be ready to sometimes suffer. 1 Peter chapter 4 says that the will of God be so, that you suffer for being a Christian and be a soul winner. You see, you ought to know that. You to, I know what the will of God is. Maybe it's not. it's you may not know that you're supposed to be a rocket scientist or a chemist or whatever, or a preacher or a pastor or a missionary, but I know I'm supposed to be those things. You see, a lot of people are saying, Lord, speak to me, show me what I'm supposed to do. And the Lord says, I already did, and you didn't do it. Another thing about God's silence is he is still at work. We read it, Job 23. Did you know God never sleeps? He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Amen. I slumber. I mean, there's some times where I just sit back and I'm out. You know, God never gets tired. So he's always busy doing something. In Job chapter 23, we read it there. He says, I'm looking for him on the left, on the right hand, I think he said, where he doth work. I know he's doing something, and he is. He's waiting us for us to grow and mature. Oh, and by the way, um, I was thinking about this about he's always at work. You know, not everybody talks while they work. Did you ever notice that? Some people just work, and that's what God is like. Now, sometimes it's nice to have companionship. You're working somewhere, and there's somebody else working. It's great to be talking, but not everybody talks while they work. And God doesn't always talk while he works. He just works, and that's good. Here's a thought. Philippians 1, 6, my life verse, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll keep doing it. Romans 8, 28. Paul, can you quote that? Hmm? And we know that all things work together. Well, who's working them out? How do we know all things work together? Because God works them all out. Uh, But I want to get to this. He is waiting for us to grow and mature. Do you know, there are some things, a lot of things, that he can't teach us until we're ready. He can't teach us until we mature. You can't teach. You really shouldn't be teaching a nine-year-old to drive a car, should you? Why? Why? You know, they understand the steering wheel. All my kids said, Dad, I'm ready to drive. <laughs> well, they think that you just got to push that pedal and hit that pedal when you want to stop. And they may understand a bit of the mechanics of it, but they're not ready. They're not mature. You can't teach a nine-year-old about marriage. You can't, you can't teach a nine-year-old about a, lo- a lot of money. You give a nine-year-old a thousand euros. You think they can conceive of the value of that money? There's no way. You know, God could give you everything you asked for. He'd ruin you. What did your parents do? Your parents staggered out the things that they taught you. Sometimes, you know, here comes a 15 year old and she says, I'm in love. I know you are, honey. But I don't think you understand the depth of that love and what is going to hurt when that love doesn't work out. You're not ready to be in love. Let's hold on, let's wait. Let's just get through school. Because there's maturity. Another thing that's going on when God is silent is he's proving us. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy 8, 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these how many years? Wow, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, if you looked at a map and you saw Egypt's not that far from the promised land. Now, Israel brought some of it on themselves, that's for sure. But God said, I want you to remember that God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble thee, to bring you low, and to prove thee, to know what was in thy what? Now, not that God wanted to know what was in your heart, because God already knows what's in your heart, but he wanted to bring it to the surface so that what's in your heart is evident to everyone. And there are some times in your life when everything collapses and we can all see what's in your heart. And God says, that was me. I'm proving you. Yes, I'm testing you. He says that I to prove thee, to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, What's he doing? He's expecting us to trust him in the silent times. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. See, when God does, doesn't seem to be doing anything, doesn't seem to be intervening, doesn't seem to be helping, saving, doing great things and great mighty things, what does he expect us to do? Well, Hebrews 10.35 says this, Cast not away, therefore your what? Right, what does it mean, cast? What does it mean, cast not away? Don't throw it away! Don't throw away your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. There's a great payback of reward. For ye have need of what? Ooh, that's what we need. That after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive All of God's promises for yet a little while, and he that shall come, circle those next two words, will come, and he will not tarry. Too many Christians only believe God and in Jesus, but they don't trust him. They don't trust him, like Brother George preached this morning. You know, Jesus, I trust, I believe that you can do anything, but I don't trust that you're good right now because you let my brother die. And trust is the real test of what we think we believe. Faith trusts in the silence times. Let me read some here. Isaiah 8 says, I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. There are times when you just have to say, Lord, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to jump ship. I don't feel like doing anything, but I'm going to do it anyway. Psalm 27, 14. Wait in the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because him who prospereth in his way, you see somebody else, they're racing ahead. They're doing great. Everything's going fine for them. They don't have any problems. Fret not because of him that prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Verse 9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off one day, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So God goes silent to give you time to grow up. That's the truth. We don't like it. How many many 14-year-old wishes they were 19? How many? Every one of them. And there's every one of us Christians are like saying, I wish I got through this. I wish I was uh, out of this pit. I wish things were better. And the Lord says, not yet. You're not ready. So during the time of silence, you need to yield. Which is exactly, where did Job go? Did he run like Jonah? No. He sat down on that ash heap and he gave up any kind of fight, and he just sat there and he says, I'm going to wait on God. I have to have an answer from God, and if I don't get an answer from God, I'm going to die. But I will wait right here, and I am yielded. If he would just say something, I'll believe it, I'll do it. That is Job's first place, and that's the place you've got to start at, because you will have no idea what's going on. Did Job know the spiritual battle going on over his life at that time? Did he know about... The, the 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 desire of Satan to destroy him. Did he know about the uh, the spiritual war that was he had no idea what was going on? You will find yourself saying things that you regret if you're not careful. Anybody ever done that? <coughs> yeah, I like that. Job seven eleven, listen to this. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. You know who wrote that? Job. Now, by chapter 40, you know what Job's saying? I'm shutting up. <laughs> he, wrote, he writes, he said, well, he says, he says, I have spoken, but no more. He's embarrassed over what he says throughout the book of Job he gets upset at God and you'll find yourself going I wish I hadn't said that If you're not careful he's um he says in Job 9:16 he says if I had called and he had answered me yet would I not believe that he'd hearken unto my voice well if he ever does answer I won't believe that he's ever talking to me is what he's saying He's bitter So you need to listen to God's word as it is already written. You are in a better place than Job. How could you be in a better place than Job? You have the whole Bible. Did Job have a Bible at all? He had no written word at all. He only had the verbal lessons taught to them by parents of Adam and Eve and everything. It was was just barely little bits and pieces compared to what we have. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You're in, you may be of Hebrews. Go right to the next book. James chapter 1 of verse 19. You need to listen to God's written word as if He's speaking right to you. James one nineteen says this Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. What's the next three words? Slow to speak. And even slower to what? Right. It's the reverse of how our emotions feel. So I'm going to encourage you. You go through a a valley, you go through a dump, you feel like you're in the bottom of a hole, pull out your Bible and read it out loud to yourself. And listen like God is there because he is. And he expects you to go over what he's already said as if it was written to you because he becomes, he just, he just becomes present with his word. So listen to God's already written word like it was written to you because it was. Next, believe what you claim to know or claim to believe already. You think Job believed God knew what he was doing? At least for, for a little while. Go back to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. And verse 10. The idea is to get you, listen, listen, listen to God's word read out loud to you. Maybe it's only you reading it. Well, do it. But as you listen to it, decide I'm going to believe what I claim to believe. And here's Job chapter 2 verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now, has she already quit? Has she already given up? You better believe it. And she says, why don't you just die with me? Verse 10, but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the unsaved women. You speak like one of the foolish women speaking. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this did did not Job sin with his lips. So what is Job saying? I know he knows what he's doing. We can't curse him. We can't just quit. At least at this point, you're only in chapter 2. As far as Job is concerned, God is is in charge and knows what he's doing. And I hope you believe that yourself. You need to start going, you know, I, I used to believe that God was good. I used to believe that God knew what he was doing. I used to believe, Romans 8, 28, that all things are working together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. I used to believe that. Well, go ahead and believe it again. That's what you're supposed to do when everything is going wrong. Uh, believe what you know um, about trusting God. Job 13. Look at Job 13. Job thirteen fifteen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. Though he slay me, now he's got all kinds of things going on inside of his heart and his mind, but he says, you know what, if he kills me, I'm still going to just trust him. And, and that, that is him deciding, I'm going to trust God and it costs me everything. Another thought, look at chapter uh, uh Chapter twenty three verse eleven. Twenty three eleven. I got lots of them, but I gotta rush. Twenty-three eleven. Twenty-three eleven. You know what Job believes God's ways are right, at least for a while. He says, verse eleven, My foot hath held his steps. I'm going in the steps that the Lord has laid out for me. His way have I kept, and I've not declined. I haven't gone off into sin. Verse 12, neither have I gone back from his commandment, the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words, have valued the words of his mouth more than all my necessary food. You know what he's decided? The word's right. I'm going to believe it. I'm just going to stay the path. And he's, he's believing. Go down to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy. Because the Apostle Paul, I think, took a page from Job with this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy 1, 12. <clears throat> for the which cause I also endure. No, it's even a harder word than that. What is the word? Suffer these things. Now, if you're a prosperity gospel, you believe for the which cause I enjoy all these things. No, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't give you everything that you want. Sometimes he gives you suffering. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm still persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day evidently Paul did that a lot where he decided I'm just going to go ahead and believe God anyway allow here's another thought when times where God's just not doing anything allow God to counsel you through other people God allowed job's three friends to debate criticize correct Find fault with? Now, was Job truly at fault? When those friends were just analyzing him, microanalyzing him, were they right in their analysis of him? No, they weren't. Do you know what Job did when they were going at him? He took it. He waited his turn. Now, he came back and he says, you're miserable comforters, <clears throat> but he took it. And that is hard. Where you know what? I found that most of the time, many of my enemies or people who disagree with me, they're still right. They have some things that they say that I need to listen to, and I go, Yeah, you're right. The Apostle Paul, now Eliphaz, uh Zophar and the third guy, Bildad, we're all that together when it comes to their doctrine. They're kind of, they were prosperity gospel preachers. They were kind of really lopsided. They believed that God would never allow bad times to happen to good people, so on and so forth. But did you know Eliphaz, what Eliphaz writes is quoted by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because Eliphaz, some of what Eliphaz said was right. And Job needed to hear it. So sometimes you got somebody there who is there and they're in your face and they're saying, uh uh-uh don't do that, or this is what you should do, or I'm not with you there, you need to do this, or whatever, whatever they say. You need to go, Lord, am I supposed to listen? Is it possible I haven't been listening? Maybe you've gone quiet because you want me to hear them. Get counsel. You don't always they need to accept what everyone says. You don't have to worry about what everybody thinks, but it's good when somebody cares enough to just sit down and say... Let me tell you something. And you need to listen and go, you may be hurtful to hear, but I'm willing to hear. Because the next level is is when when God's gone silent, it, it means, hmm, I need to deal with my own pride. You know what God talked about with Job in the end in chapter 38, 39? You know what God talked about? Only one thing. What did God talk to Job about? What was Job's only battle with his pride. He thought, God, you're unfair. God, I don't deserve this. God, I need to hear your side. I want to know why you're doing this. And God said, you could never understand. You're just going to have to trust me. And he talks about dinosaurs, and he talks about impossible things, and he says, don't go there, Job, because there is a king of all the children of pride, And that's the devil. So deal with your own pride. When when God's not making sense, guess who's the problem? Me. It's not that God became confused or messed up. I just don't understand him, and i got to deal with my pride. Now that leads to the next one. Try and be thankful. Try and praise God. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do. It'll be the sacrifice of praise. But Job 121, we read it, it says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And then how does he end it? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if he had written that in chapter 20, and then in chapter 30, he would have handled all of that problems much better because he never repeated those words through the rest of the book. So I'm telling you, he started off right, and if everything had ended... By by the end of chapter 2, it would have been great. But God allowed it to drag on and on, and he forgot to praise God. Don't be like that. You need need to, when you don't want to get out of bed, you need to start thanking him for breath and life and salvation and the promises of God. You need to thank him that you have a job to do, a a purpose in life. You don't want to do it, but thank you anyway, because that will motivate you. And then lastly, I want you to say this. Realize one day he will speak. You know, one day there's going to be a shout from heaven and Jesus will speak. Three words. What are those three words? Come up up hither. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll go, it's been worth the wait. Those words will be, "Mm." it'll be worth it. He can be quiet as long as he wants. If I can hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He can be quiet. If he wants to be quiet all my life and not do anything for me, and if I have to just keep trudging on and just keep doing and enduring as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, if he'll say, well done, it'll be worth it all. Because one day he will speak. One day he will. You just better make sure you're on the right side of that conversation because he might say, depart from me. I never knew you. One day he will speak. Summary, you can find God. I find him every day. And when I open up my Bible, I'm going through Exodus right now. Nita, what chapter? Where where are you? You're like 400 chapters ahead of me. First Kings, like I said. And uh, I already meet Jesus. I talked to him this morning. I'm trying to listen to him every day. You can find him. You can know him. Jesus says eternal life is when they know you. Oops. When they know you. Hmm. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17:26. 17, Paul is preaching in Athens, Greece. Four twenty. Uh, sorry, 17:26, and he says, "God hath made of one blood." All nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed. He's working out everything according to his schedule and the bounds of their habitation. Why, why, does, why does he make some people live over here and some people over there? doesn't matter. He's done all that, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and what? He wants us to find him. Though he be not far from every one of us. He's not a million miles away. may feel like it. But he wants you to find him. You'll find him first in the pages of Scripture. You'll find him by the teaching power of the Holy Spirit. You'll find him through the sovereignty of God as he puts you through hard suffering. You'll find find him when you go searching for him with all your heart. You'll find him when you're sharpened by other people, and they'll make you think about things you never thought about. And finally, when everything is silent, just seek to know him. I think a lot of us want his blessings. How many of you want God to bless your life, bless your family, bless There's bless Not one of us don't want his blessings. And we yearn for his help. We say, God, help me here. God, there's, there's something I can't handle now. But wouldn't it be just nice if we, if we, this, if we knew that he just wanted to be loved and, and that we just wanted him? Um, there's, there's one person I miss. I mean, my dad just died, and I miss him. But there's one person in my, my family that I miss a lot, the older I get, is my grandfather. I don't know why. I just I always looked up to him, and I loved him dearly. But my grandfather never showered me with gifts. As a matter of fact, I was telling Brother uh, Hannes, when I was six years old, I got a wallet for Christmas. A man's wallet. I opened it up, there was a... Crisp, brand new one dollar bill. Honest says that was worth a lot back then. <laughs> but it had a brand new one dollar bill, paper money. Oh, and I pulled it out. I thought I was the richest man on the planet. I looked at my grandfather. My grandfather said these words to me. He says, "That's the only one I'll ever give you. All the rest you'll have to earn yourself." <laughs> mean old man? Not at all. I miss my grandfather. Because I miss him. I miss just sitting there with him. He had just a calmness about him. He, he was a very important person, he was a very high up lawyer. Um, but he was, he, he played with me. He listened to me. I would describe about going to live on Mars, and he'd go, Yeah, right. You yeah, know, no. There's no life on Mars. You're never going to go there. That's stupid. <laughs> Didn't say stupid. But anyway, he'd chuckle with me, he'd put up with me talking about space. He'd talk about science and things, and he would ask me questions, and there were no gifts. There was no constant, let's do this all for Ledbetter. better. No, it was just his presence that I miss most of all. Just being around, he smoked a pipe. He wore a cardigan sweater. I loved my grandfather, Richard Craig. That's where, that's where I got my name from. Richard Craig. I miss him. And he was back, I would just hold on to him and hold on to him and hold on to him because of who he is. Can we not see that's what God wants us to want too? That's in prayer. And my father, I humbly ask, desperately ask God, that we would take this to heart that we are Westerners. We need noise, we need entertainment, we need activity. We need talking going on for us to feel alive, for us to feel like we're part of something. We need stuff going on or else we're bored. And we're afraid of our children being bored. We're afraid of, of just doing things where we're doing nothing. We're afraid of that. And that's conditioning that we should be ashamed of because you're not like that. As a matter of fact, you've been very quiet and Lord, we need to take it serious just as if you were speaking. We need to quiet down ourselves because we need to rest in what you've already said. We we don't need more miracles, even though we do. We don't need activity in the heavens. We don't need incredible things going on. We just need you. So, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would fill every believer with himself and not with his gifts. They would fill us with just a presence that we know that we know you're there and that you love us and that you're teaching us and you've got us in class right now as as, as, um, all of these years and decades and hundreds of years, all we're doing is we're preaching the same old gospel, we're preaching the same old book, but that's enough. Lord, one of these days you are going to speak from heaven and it'll all be over. And we're going to wish that we could have been more faithful. We're going to wish that we could be more patient. That we would have waited instead of quitting, instead of getting angry, instead of doing things, saying things we regret. We've all done it. So, Lord, we humbly ask you to forgive us. We ask that, Lord, you'd help us that when things are silent, that we treasure them. In Jesus' name, amen.